Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar, and Mark Sharon Stevens Slate and I will be talking today about how people truly and successfully put addiction behind them. We are the co authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction, and it offers a real solution that is completely individual centered. We offer two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes, and that is at our beautiful private St. Jude Retreat, or through our at-home private instruction program, which we do via video conference. You can get information about our retreat at soberforever.net and about the at-home Freedom Model private instruction program at thefreedommodel.org. At thefreedommodel.org, you'll also find a bunch of different resources and information available, including videos, podcasts, and eBooks. Digital editions of our books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family are available for purchase on that site as well, or you can get paperback versions on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions and you want to reach us, call 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can follow us on social media too, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or you can subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. And we have three Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and perpetual recovery. They are the Freedom Model, moving beyond addiction and recovery, and families moving beyond addiction and recovery. So what we're going to talk about today is the myriad of ways that people solve their substance use problems. And this was brought on because there's a there's an article um, that's trending about Jessica Simpson. It's an article in the New York Times. And apparently Jessica Simpson, who was a pop star here in the U.S. in the 90s and early 2000s, um, beautiful girl. Uh, apparently she wrote a memoir. She's only 39 years old. Her memoir, memoir is called Open Book, and it was released recently. Um, and in it, she admits to having a serious alcohol problem among other things. Um, according to the New York Times interview with, with Ms. Simpson, um, in an article that they, they printed January 29th, she realized she didn't have a healthy relationship with alcohol when she found herself drinking vodka at 7.30 a.m. She began making an effort to stop drinking when she learned that her liver had been affected by her heavy drinking and she was told by her doctor that she was endangering her life. So, but she doesn't mention anywhere in the book or in the article about going to AA or needing, you know, to go to rehab. She didn't go to rehab. She did what most people do, which they have uh, kind of a brief intervention where they learn, wow, this is, you know, something that I shouldn't be doing anymore. And um, and she pretty much stopped and moved on. But she still has some belief systems um, that I think might lead to problems in the future um, based on, on the article. I haven't read her book. I am going to get it and read it. Yeah, I just I, I want to make a point that we're, we're taking the interviewer's uh, word at face value here. I don't know if she went to AA or not, but it's not mentioned in the article. And usually those articles pump that oh, yeah. propaganda like crazy. So we know she didn't do the rehab thing. Um, but but we really, we would have to read the book to absolutely know. Yeah. That. But let, let's, let's assume that she didn't because right. we know a lot of people that didn't, right? And moved on from their... Most from their, people. Right. Exactly. So that's sort of the theme. And I think this article just popped that theme up in our minds that a lot of people don't know that you can just move past this and that most people do just move past yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
it's, uh, it's, it's important for our listeners to know that the vast majority of people that get over a drinking or a drug problem uh, figure out how to do that on their own. Yeah. There's, there's a word in the article, though, and a concern that I had that jumped out at me, and that was her... The, the other person that was with her in the interview was, is, I guess, one of her closest friends and a publicist or something. And, and, um, and she, she refers to her as an alcoholic. And, you know, and I, first of all, if, if anybody in my life that was close to me referred to me as an alcoholic, I'd probably punch them in the face. <laughs> um, I can be violent at times. Um, and, uh, so, so it's not, I'm like in, in, if, and, you know, you hear people say, oh, people have to accept who they are. Um, and so if she considers herself an alcoholic, um, then I would say that, that that's probably a red flag uh, for the future. Well, yeah, anytime you put yourself in that box, it sort of becomes the, the uh, catch-all, right? Yeah. And with all, its, uh, the, all the baggage that that word has with it. So it, the implication is if you're an alcoholic that you are somehow different. That you're a ticking time bomb. Yeah, that it's just a matter of time or some trigger that's going to set you off like like a time bomb and and uh, that you have to have a trigger-free life and you have to have support. And they mentioned the whole support they, they thing. They mentioned the support thing. Her her husband stopped drinking with her to support her. Yeah, which is fine. It is, is totally fine. Is, but it, thinking that you need those things is the issue. Yeah, thinking that you need to be propped up by some external force or circumstance or situation and that you have to addiction proof yourself that way um, almost like protect yourself from yourself living in a bubble yeah you have to live in some kind of of a bubble that's always fraught with failure you know or or it's fraught with a very stressful stressful sobriety right and uh, and you're always waiting for the shoe to drop and that's just a terrible way to go through life it is And, and unnecessary and really fully unnecessary. Well, and the life that she's living really, and I, I, I see this with our students sometimes, like when you tell them, this happened actually with a student the other day, where she read chapter seven, she was reading the PDP, and she was reading about how people move in the direction that makes them happier, and she had a revelation and her revelation was about 20 years ago when she was younger and um, she had, she was a heavy substance user, was really off the deep end and literally one day decided she wanted to go back to school and become a nurse and all of a sudden she goes, it was like, she goes, I realized I had done it before. I had changed my, I had stopped everything. She's like, I didn't consider myself in recovery. I just had a new mission in life. Right. And the the substance, the heavy drinking, drugging lifestyle didn't fit in with the direction that I was going. She goes, and I never realized that before. I never realized that I had already solved this problem once and without rehab, without anything. And, and she, it was, it was a light bulb went off and we're only on chapter seven. And she's like, I think I got it. <laughs> I think I go, all right, well, then we're going to have some pretty easy classes coming up here. Well, a lot of people do get it there. Yeah. 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 That's so <clears throat> so I, I would much rather have read an article where Jessica Simpson, like Drew Barrymore, actually kind of left the whole recovery thing. Yeah. You know, I'd much rather hear her say, you know, I just, it was a. I'm moving on. Phase in my life, I did that. I'm moving on. I, I, you know, why would I identify myself as something that I don't do anymore? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. 
it's weird. We have the need to have a story around yeah. this. And so I noticed in the article something very typical, which is like menting, mentioning the uh, the child abuse or yes, yeah, the whatever. trauma that that's the in there sort too. Of trauma growing up, and you know, I like the my pillow guy telling his story. I, yeah, I yeah. Made you Mike guys, Lindell. Mike, Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell. I made you guys both watch him, and I was rewatching an interview that he had recently. And at the beginning, they're asking him now, you had a big problem with addiction, right? And he goes to the, like the, you know, they they mentioned something, the interviewer said something, I think, about trauma. And he's like, yeah, and I went, I went through this. Of course, there was this and that when I was, and he was all, he's all choreographed, stern. And yeah, there's there's a tone to yes. it. Yes, dramatic. And then, and, and then he gets around to telling the moment like a month, it was like almost like the trigger for him quitting a month later was that he ran into this guy he used to smoke tons of crack with. Right. And he, you know, he knew this guy was now sober for a few years and he, and he respected him. So he said, you know, I needed to ask him, is it boring? You know, is boring being sober or whatever. Yes. Right? He now lights up and he's in a completely different tone when he's telling this part of it. And to me, I was like, this guy... That's what really mattered to him was figuring out whether life was going to suck after crack or not. Right. Right. And <laughs> that's but he always t- the issue. But yeah, and he told this obligatory <laughs> stuff, you know, and that's, that's got to fit the narrative because the there's like narrative. a narrative mm-hmm. that has to, you know, and we feel we have to have a story to justify this. And I, you know, why, why would I have this problem for a while? Why would I? you know, use heroin to the, to, you know, at the cost of everything else, every, every other potential thing I could be doing and whatever, right? Like we, we have to have some kind of story that justifies it. And somehow it's not enough of a justification to say, you know, like for me in my case, I mean, it is enough of a justification for me, but I think for the public, like, first of all, I really loved heroin you know, I yeah. really enjoyed it. Yes, you found something that. Second is, of all, yeah, just like any other activity. Yeah, right. Second of all, I um, got into a place in my life where I felt um, a little bit cornered and like there was no moving up and and succeeding at things and and just sort of in comparison, it looked like this was all I could do in life, and it was a little bit of a hopeless state. Yeah. But it was how I saw things in life. And I can talk about all the external circumstances all day long. But to me, it's enough for me to say to people at this point, there was a point in my life where I really thought I needed heroin to feel good. And now I don't believe that anymore. That, well, yes. uh, we need to stop right there because that is the, that's the key. That's the key, the linchpin of this whole thing. And that's the commonality. And that's, yeah, that's well, right. And what I'm trying to say is that should be all right. Yes. But somehow in our society, it's not all right to say that. And I think there's a few things behind it. And I think one of them that's in that we talk about in the book, and we don't necessarily fully relate it over, but it's that mindset thing. People have this mindset, either the fixed or growth mindset. If you have the fixed mindset, you are who you are, and there's no changing it. 
And um, if you do good things, it's because you're gifted. If you do bad things, it's because That's you're right. broken. Yeah. Right. And in the growth mindset, right, you believe, hey, people are adaptable, adaptable and we grow and change with effort throughout our lives. Now, I think if you have a fixed mindset, you can't dare to say, I was wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. I got I got a really warped perspective for a while. You know, and that's that's what happened with me Absolutely. when I was just shooting up all day every day. We can talk about why it was warped, but I had a very warped perspective, I think. Yep. It came from originally just liking drugs and then it then yes. it became this weird outgrowth. And and we've picked that apart before and different things, but but it, I had a warped perspective and I saw my way around it. And one of the greatest things I thought after coming to the retreat was and I know I'm not supposed to I will probably have somebody attack me for using this word but I was crazy in a way mm-hmm. like yeah. I went crazy I know I have my definition of what that means yep and I know how I got there like in retrospect in a way and I know that I don't have to go there again because I know it was the way that I was looking at things That's right. how I was thinking mm-hmm. yeah you tracked and I yourself turned around that yep. way of thinking and, um, but I think if you have, again, to go back to my theory is if you have a growth, if you have a fixed mindset, you can't bear to just say something as, well, I made some dumb decisions or right. I was, I had a, I, I was judging things all wrong at that period of my life. Because it's like, if you judge things, if you have the fixed mindset, you judge things wrong because you are dumb because yeah. you have no judge because you have some flaw, right? So instead of that. We love the circumstantial, the, the people who believe in traits and people are believing in the, the fixed mindset and traits more and more and more. Yeah, they are. As you know, you see dumb articles like, oh, we found the gene that makes people Republicans. Or right. Found, you know what I mean? Like people <laughs> yes. are thinking more and more we're sort of genetically and predispositioned you to know, just be certain ways. We, we believe in a deterministic universe. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that um, people who think that way, I think, and that's a lot of the public now, I think they love saying they have to have an excuse. Yes. It had to be a disease. And if it wasn't a disease, it had to be that it was trauma. It had to be that somebody did something to you and victimized you in some way. Now, I'm not saying people don't get victimized. Of course, they do. But it has to be anything other than your own choice apparatus. Yep. You know what I mean? Than your own decision-making process and your own thinking. We cannot blame that. No. You know, because if we do and we're in a fixed mindset idea, then that means you're going to do it again and again and again. It means you're a bad person, you're a flawed person, something. So we have to say it's a disease or it's trauma, or it's some other kind of victimization. So, and and I think that's why you always see these narratives narratives come out of the celebrities and stuff. That's what the public, I don't know, wants to hear. And 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 how they think. Yeah, right? it generates an entire psychiatric uh, industry. And and here's the thing about this: like, we're not saying that people don't use these things as reasons, but the truth of the matter is. Very rarely is it your initial reason. Uh, that's that's yeah. so right. You know, it, it's I started now. Granted, I grew up in a household that was where there was abuse and horrible things going on, and 
I was told that I was going to be an alcoholic if I ever drank. Um, so I was, I was already told that. But the truth of the matter is, if I had drank and didn't like it, I wouldn't have kept doing it. Yeah, well, that's exactly. Well, that's it. That's you know, it. I mean, it, it turns out I really liked it. That is the best way to put it. If yeah. <laughs> I didn't drink and like it, I wouldn't have kept doing. I, but <laughs> you know, you know, I had so many in class right now that keeps going to oh, every time we talk about like this percentage of people in this group, it's like. What was up with those people? Right, those what was couple, the five percent? Yeah, that, that decided what was to wrong drink? with them? <laughs> yeah, it's like seventy <laughs> percent of the population drinks overall. Yes, you know, so there's something likable about it yes. for people. So why do we have to like? Why do we have to pluck out a, and dig for a deep dark reason? Why can't it just be I liked it? Exactly. Well, is, it's it's exactly what I learned in mechanics school, and I used this example before in our first class when the when the it was a tractor, and they said you have to diagnose the tractor problem, and so you have an hour to do it. So the whole class is getting together. I'm sitting in the back of the classroom, looking at this tractor, thinking it probably doesn't have gas in it. Right. <laughs> right? That would be the first thing I check. <laughs> yeah. But everybody was afraid. It's a very weird thing. It's yes. a very, very weird thing. I didn't have the courage to speak up and say that, right? Yes. To just say it's something simple. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, mo- the very first thing is the most obvious thing. Does it have fuel, air, right? These are things that need a combustion engine needs. So they, the, these 30 kids that all grew up on farms, all, all grew up rebuilding Just like motors. you did. Yeah. They know. They know to look and see if it's got gas. They've done that probably 50 times in their lifetime. But yeah. what do they do? They start tearing down the motor. Well, the yeah. hour goes by and the thing is dismantled. <laughs> I mean, the whole truck is dismantled. <laughs> and they hadn't come. And I just sat in the back feeling stupid. And, and, and not wanting to say not anything. Not wanting to say anything. And so the, the instructor comes in and he says, uh, did anybody check to see if the damn thing had gas? He goes, always, always go to the most obvious conclusion first. Yes. Yeah. And he goes, it's that's the f- great. And, and it was the first class for a reason because he's like, everybody goes to the most outrageous. I mean, there were guys saying, well, maybe the crank is bent and it's throwing the timing off. And I'm going, oh, really? I mean, yeah. that like never happens <laughs> to a tractor. Yeah. So, so, but we do it all the time. Yes. Salesmen, we want things to be more complicated. Yeah. Salesmen will have sales they can make right in their geographic area within a mile of their business. But what do they do? They drive 40 miles to the one guy they think might buy something. Right. Right. And they spend all that gas money and time. And and it's a strange phenomenon that people do. And with addiction, it's like on steroids. Yes. It's, you couldn't just like it. I mean, the first time I drank a Miller beer in the woods with my sister and your husband, Bob, when we were, t- <laughs> I don't know, we were probably 11. Um, it, and I felt that little rush. It was fun. Yeah. It's just fun. I wasn't escaping my trauma. And trust me, I had tons of trauma in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we were not a healthy family at that point. Um, I had plenty of psychological excuses for why I was drinking. But to be honest with you, none of those occurred to me when I was 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I started to get the narrative. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right? I think, yeah, right? I, I definitely now, had it by 18. Now the shit is hitting the fan. My yep. family's not putting up with me. I'm crashing cars. I'm getting in trouble. Things are getting crazy. Getting you got the love life now. Yeah, yeah. So there's all that. Oh, going yeah. On. Some n- nice domestic violence. Domestic coming violence. Home with broken noses and black <laughs> eyes and broken bones and all <laughs> this stuff. Now I have to have a reason. That's yeah. right. Okay. 
So, and that's when it gets really complex and that whole narrative starts being piled on Mark. I mean, my family was like, got to go to therapy, got to go to AA. There's something wrong with Mark, just like his brothers and sisters that went to rehab and that whole thing. And really it generates a horrible, horrible feeling of I'm broken. Totally broken. But I was confused. I was confused because deep down inside I knew... I could stop this shit anytime. I really kind of like it. I, I, yeah. yeah. I kind of yeah. like, I'm going to go get fucked up tonight. So that's the big secret. So now, so now I'm hiding it and it becomes deviant behavior. And we yes. were talking about this today, yeah. Steve, with one of our students in class. Now, now I'm, I'm having to hide it, which is like throwing a match on gasoline where yes. I once just liked it and could be open about it. Now the pressure is on. So now I'm going to slip to the side. So now I got to do it really hardcore over here because I don't have the same time and freedom to be able to behave in this way. Right. And, and there's all these excuses piled on me. Now I feel guilty. Now I feel like something's wrong with me. And you see, see now we're cascading into the very mentality that had guys tearing down that motor when it was just simply the damn thing was out of gas. Yeah. And in my case, it was, I just really liked to get fucked up. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun yeah. with all my buddies. Now, the last two years wasn't fun because it's just like anything that you push the envelope with. You go from riding a dirt bike in the woods to racing. Well, when you race, you're probably going to break a leg or two, yeah. right? I mean, if you push the envelope with anything, right? there's greater risk and consequence with it. Um, if it was told to me in those terms at the time, that's what was running through my head is, boy, I'm getting fucked up a lot. You know, I'm yeah. getting hammered a lot and the bad things are going to probably happen. Um, but then that other narrative is piled on and now I feel disordered, diseased, mentally ill, all these things. And mm -hmm. it became very complex and mystifying. Then eventually I didn't know why I was doing it. You see, now I think I am a troubled human being that is forced and compelled to use. Well, you start yeah. to get that fixed mindset of... That's exactly You right. know, it becomes your identity. And um, it's it's funny because when we were talking, I was thinking about when we were kids and we'd go to AA meetings, they had those pamphlets. Oh. <laughs> and, <you> read, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was always... I always had... Jack is an alcoholic. <laughs> the pamphlet <laughs> with the checklist. There was a oh, yeah. checklist of what made you an alcoholic, right? And I... Literally, when from the time I started, I was 16 and I started dabbling, drinking. By the time I was 18 and I was away at college and I had freedom, I quickly started drinking every day. So check that one off the list, right? <laughs> did you drink in the morning? Mm, did that a couple times. Check that one off the list. Do you drink by yourself? I mean, there was all of these things. And as each one got checked off, um, you know, I, I, you know, delved deeper and deeper into this pit of despair yeah. because I was like, I, I'm doomed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I <laughs> used to totally love the cartoon doomed. ones, though. <laughs> the, cartoon. the cartoon ones where, where the father crashes the car and, and the <laughs> oh wife is... Oh, I remember uh, that one. Yeah, the yeah. wife is all teary-eyed and then he starts beating her and stuff. Totally, no, no, no that saying, stuff that's, is not hilarious. No, it, but, but in the, the cartoon... But the cartoon... It was, it was so outrageous. It, was. it yeah. made it sound like everybody was beating their wives and everybody was crashing cars because Jack... The husband, he's an alcoholic. Because he's yeah. an alcoholic. And the wife is an enabler. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, she's gotta go to Al Anon. I you know, that whole that was indoctrination. I oh, mean that's total how that propaganda. stuff is in, is indoctrinated into young people. Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the uh the story a couple of years ago about Tina somebody named Tina something. I don't know, Tina with a 
letter who, who you know Tina B. Like yeah, <laughs> Tina B or something like that, right? And she was in the four four young people pamphlet. And <laughs> she came she I came think I out. Do. <laughs> she came out and told her story like now maybe in her 30s or 40s, but she was like a 13-year-old alcoholic. I, I do was remember this, that. that oh, and, yeah. and she came out and she goes, "You know, I don't think you know, I think like I had a few episodes and I think I highlighted those episodes in AA. Yes. And blew that up to be oh, yeah. you know, all yeah. of this thing. But now what she came out with so then she became a moderate drinker and everything and um so she, you know, she was like sort of like renounced her AA pamphlet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But then she's sort of like but I'm not saying so a lot of people latched on and she's like, Oh no, no, no I'm not saying you know, this or that about alcoholism. I just think I wasn't a real alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced that I was one. You know, uh, and it's... It's weird that people... You know, we have to hold on to these stories like about the real alcoholic so that we're respectful of other people. Because if we say there's no such thing as a real alcoholic... Then we're saying, like, your um, brother over there who drank himself to death, he was acting voluntarily. Yes. Uh, when he did that. And he was. He might have yep. believed some things that led him to do that, that he could have changed those beliefs. This is fucking yes. ugly to say. Yeah. You, in a way, it it you, is. It sorry, is. Sorry. No. Right, but it's like, that is that is the biggest one when it's, when you end up around somebody who has a loved one that has died, and and you're you're challenging these ideas of addiction or, at all, or you write something on the internet, I get the email like, oh yeah, of course, you know, we do sort too. of we like, too. so you think that my father, like, first of all, I didn't say anything about your father directly, ever, uh, yeah, don't right. Write but, Right. You know what I mean? So you think my father did this and that, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you know, he had a choice? Like, I do. He, you're going to come he, to me and ask me, I do. He did. I don't think there's... we. I have plenty of sympathy for your father because life is tough. Yeah. We all... I mean, granted, I guess there's a couple people that seem to do everything right. But we all get hooked on either a habit, a person, a job... Something that ends up being a big waste of time. Yeah. Straight up bad for us or a drain on our energy. Or can end in tragedy. And can end in tragedy. Like, this happens. This is life. This is being human. And I don't know why it's unacceptable to just be human and make mistakes and go down a bad path. And move on from it. And either move on from that or for us to just accept, like... Well, you know, like, it's somehow kind of, it's, it's like it's an insult to the person who died to say that addiction is not a disease. And I don't know why it has to be an insult. I respect that that person is a human going through all of the hard things that it means to be human. And, and it, it is not easy to to live <laughs> you know no, what I mean? like, life and, life life and, can be very difficult and i'm sure there's plenty of great things about that person who died from drugs and i don't know why it has to be unacceptable to say that they did retain their free will they did it, you know exactly like, and they that... had free will and um 
you know, I don't know why. I don't know why that that's. Well, he, here's the thing. They right now the narrative is so strong, and and anytime anybody, you know, celebrity or otherwise, you know, overdoses and dies, and it makes the news. It's always that the disease got him, the disease mm-hmm. of addiction. And I want to they correct lost that. Their they lost their battle with the, the disease of addiction. Like it was something, some boogeyman out there yeah. that was killing them. And and I think the narrative has to change. To first of all, they the idea that they had a disease may have been what killed them. May have been a big part of it. Yeah. You know, the fact that they believed that's why it's so important for us to say, yes, this person did have a choice, and that's what makes it such a fucking tragedy. Yes. Because they may not have known that. Right. Now, maybe they did and they died doing what they wanted to do. Right. What, that's a different situation. That's a different situation. Yep. But but if you have somebody that's in and out of treatment, in and out of rehab, in and out of you know, recovery groups and that sort of thing, and and they die. To me, the tragedy is is that they didn't know that they could just stop and move on. That they could change yeah. their preference. Yeah, yeah, it is tragic mm-hmm. and and unnecessary. But you know, hey, now there there's there's a lot of different material out there that that goes over the facts. Yes, right. I mean, we collected it in the Freedom Model mm-hmm. so that it's all in one place. Um, and people just need to know that. They need to know that they're really capable of change. And we covered this in the other podcast, the previous one that's going to be um, actually put out there this week. Uh, but Steve said something that was really smart. The opposite of, of addiction is diversification, right? It's this idea that you don't have to be beholden or or only like one thing. Right. Like Budweiser or heroin or, or drugs and substances doesn't have to be the only thing that you like. And, and I just wrote an article based on this as well um, that talks about this, that I got lost in that one choice because the drug was built up by so many people around me. And the fact that I liked it, and the fact that I liked it a lot made me, made me really susceptible in my mind mm-hmm. to these ideas, you know, that I'm slipping into addiction. Yes. Yeah. And, and I can remember... It's happening to me. Yeah, that, that yeah. I, I'm progressing down the yeah. disease path. And when I was getting high more and more and more. And so it accelerated this, this situation that probably, I look back and I think at about 14 or 15, I would have stopped. Because yeah. I, I can remember getting bored with it. I would have, I would have probably at 18 or 19. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wanted to get started back in sports. I wanted to try new things. I can remember distinctly... You know, I, I said I could probably be a good soccer player because I would play in my yard and stuff, and 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 I was I was a skinny little guy, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't do that, you know. I said, well, I'm I'm an alcoholic, and I started taking on that, and, and instead of being at soccer practice, I was behind Stewart's getting high, you know, and watching the kids play, and then going to work and making money so I could party on the weekends, you know. That was more important because I felt this is what I'm. This doomed. is who I am. Yeah, it's who I am. And uh, I just didn't know. I just didn't know and I, I, that I could change. And so I didn't know that I could change a preference. And that's to Steve's point that you get hooked into this one way of thinking, this one thing that you think is the most wonderful, amazing, and you put the drug way up on a high pedestal. Yeah. Like it's this amazing thing. And I can remember at 15, it really wasn't that amazing. By 18, I was drinking every day and I hated it. Yeah, <laughs> you know it wasn't fun at all, but yet I kept doing it because of the self-image. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it, it's 
this stuff, everybody has to have a story. And, yeah. and we come forward with a story. And the Jessica Simpson thing, I wish I knew more about the story at this point. Yeah. We could only I go on do. a very brief article. But it's like she quit. But then it's like, oh, we have to mention also. She she really had to address her... Her trauma. Her trauma her abuse. and abuse or whatever. And it's like, well, is that true? You know? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's about? You know? I mentioned it before, but I had a friend when I wrote something about the adverse childhood experiences the aces thing and i and i put that up she contacted me a girl i went to high school with and she was like you know i went to see a counselor in my 30s because i was just having trouble as a new mom and uh, they they started talking to me and then they gave me the aces test right and i scored the 10 out of 10 or whatever as right, high as you trauma. could score right, right, for right. trauma basically your life you sucked know. as a kid yeah she, right. and she went to a little college but basically she got a job as like a receptionist and became a high level executive assistant and really just worked her way in really great jobs like that and did very well for herself never had a drug problem never had any kind of problem until she was just like at 33 years old or something. New mom. Being a new mom new is mom. traumatic. It was traumatic is. for me. <laughs> it's for guys, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so she's like, they t- they told me I should have addiction and this or that. And she's like, well, I don't. And she, you know, basically her thing was, I saw my family like this. And I was like, I don't want to be like them. Yeah. And yeah, just, yeah. she just made a clean break, you know. even And part of the clean break was not doing the... Become you know helping the disabled that she was gonna do. Yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but that was part of her clean break because she she felt like she had to do that. But anyways, um, that's interesting. So she's a person with she can check off every box of why she that should she should have become an addict should have become an addict. Which I we hate that terminology by the way. Yes, right. Um, that when we say it, we say it based on what other people's perceptions yeah, just are of heavy substance users. Yeah. 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 So, um, and then she's not. So we have to say, well, if you have these situations in your childhood, there's more than one way to react to them. So now, if you want to make it part of your story that's necessarily connected and you got to deal with that, and the question is, going forward, right? does drinking to the same degree work for me or not? Does it work today? Does it work tomorrow? Does it work a year from now? Exactly. And, and would I be happier doing that less, letting go of it? That's what matters. And you, here's the tough news. You can't really resolve that stuff from childhood. I no, know. No, ever. I mean, Michelle there's, said that for There's years. no undoing it. It's right. done. Yeah. And if it was an injustice, you should never be all right with the fact that an that injustice. That people but abused you, you and treated you badly. in the past. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to get beyond it, but you're not going to like resolve it. If you were unjustly hurt, you were unjustly hurt, and that's all there is to it. You know, I, I, but some of the most, some of the most well-adjusted people that you can see. There's, there's now not all of them are like this, but some of the Holocaust survivors. Yeah. Right. How do you, how do you comprehend the mind of the SS in Germany? that were exterminating their fellow human being, right? How do you, right. how, how can you understand? Their fellow countrymen. Yeah, exactly. And how can you understand it, first of all, when you were a Jew who was in the camp and you just happened to survive it? And and you can't because mm-hmm. you're, you're the one being exterminated. Like you can't even understand that insanity, right? And 
you can't, there's no justification for it. There's nothing you did to make it happen. Right. right? Yeah. Um, the fact that you were Jewish, you were born that way, and there's no justification for Jews being exterminated or any human being that's innocent. So, so the point is, is you, t- you listen to these people talk, and after they, they came out of these camps, many of them were highly successful. Yes. Incredibly well-adjusted people. Now, there were other people that were really damaged by that because it's so extreme. Right. And so utterly horrible. Um, but how is it that many of them ended up being amazing, uh, you know, not resentful, forgiving, kind people? What they did is they looked at what they experienced when you hear the interviews and they say, I just had to let it go because it was completely insane. Yeah. It was just completely, totally insane. Yeah. And uh, I, what, what else was I going to do? Yeah, I mean, you're going to go between. in circles thinking about it, trying right. to make sense. Continuously of talking the about un- it. Completely uh, make sense of nonsense. You can't right, make right, sense yes. of nonsense. Yes. Yes. Right, and that—that that uh, is what a lot of incomprehensible nonsense. Yeah, that right. is what looking back on a lot of stuff is like, and I realize that about some stuff from my childhood. Especially traumatic like, stuff. Yeah, like what am I going to do except for realize that person was in Looney Tunes land? Yeah, yeah. Right? What can I do beyond that? There's no—you're not going to find a rational explanation for the irrational. So, yeah, but we somehow feel the need to attach these stories, these sort of justifications and, and to, uh, to a problem with drugs and alcohol or anything else. Um, and I would say, like, be an individual. Don't justify. That's don't right. Don't feel this need to justify yourself. Right. You don't need to justify yourself. Being a human and trying to live and going, making mistakes is, you know, that's just natural. That's okay. And, that and, is acceptable. And also, don't compare your trauma to another. Yes. There's there's oh, this yeah. idea, right? Mm-hmm. There's this idea that you have to build up your trauma. Yeah. That you have to. I I actually it, it wasn't until probably the last few years that I realized that my childhood was wholly screwed up. <laughs> I know because you have nothing to compare yeah. it to. Yeah. So, so you're like you're like did realized, everybody grow up like this? <laughs> <laughs> then I realized. It was a weird process. Then I realized talking with you, Michelle, and others that were close to me, and, and I started to realize, well, my trauma was a little bit worse than the average Joe, right? Mm-hmm. The, some of the things I went through. But who gives a shit? I, I, <laughs> I, I'm fine. Yeah. Right? I, I'm really okay. So I'm glad I realized it, but it, 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 can you imagine if I believed in that propaganda that somehow it would it would sink me now into a depression? And it's going to keep and you I, going for the rest of your yeah, life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So... I got through my childhood just simply by thinking the best yeah. In, a, yeah. in a situation that really sucked. So so I'm going to wrap it up. So setting all the narratives aside about substance use, about addiction, about all of this stuff we're talking about, um, every single person that makes a change does so for the exact same reason. They do it the exact same way. That's you know, right. people are like, oh, however it's working for you. Bullshit. I'm going to call bullshit on that because the only way it works, the only way you change is you come to the conclusion that you can be happier making a change, period. That's right, because you can't be forced by an outside circumstance, person, modality to change. Totally an inside job. That's right. Totally an inside job. And so so the question becomes... All right, well, I have this preference for, you know, for being drunk every night, for drinking a box of wine every night or whatever it is. How do I how do I change that preference? Well, you change it by beginning to by taking away the magical powers of 
that of alcohol because what is it really honestly doing for you? Is it getting you what you want? Um, and so you just start you just start really thinking about what your actual reasons are. How much do I really like this? And is it really a, giving me the things that I want it to give me? And could I possibly be happier not doing it? So you compare the heavy drinking to abstinence or to one glass of wine. That's that's the comparison you make. And I, I want to jump in with something you said. Everybody makes a change with their drinking drug habits the same way, and that is it's an internal job of making a decision. When you when you pare it down yes. at some choice perspective moment in time, you say, I'm not going to drink, I'm going to go do this. Right? Whatever that is. Or maybe it's just I'm not going to I'm drink. I'm just right not going to drink. Right, right. So, so th- but here's what happens. You rewrite that story if somebody at the same moment or time period in your life sent you to AA. Yes. So, so yes. suddenly it's some... Or rehab. Or rehab. Or counseling. Or counseling, therapy, treatment. Then where, you build a narrative. Then you build the narrative that AA helped me do this. Well, did it or was ultimately when the decision was made, who made the decision? Was it this external meeting structure? We really got to pin it down. And you're right, Michelle, when you call bullshit, it's a fact. Every single human being that changes a behavior does so internally. Yes. Based on their positive drive principle, which is their pursuit of a happier place in life. It's a simple, self-evident fact. So don't attribute the success to something outside of you. Take credit. That's right. For the change. You did it. Yes. It's it's only you. It's that's the only way it can happen. And uh so And so, the truth is important here. It's very, very important because in the end, if we're not willing to tell the truth that everybody has power, everybody has the power to make a different decision, to change the way they think, to change their perspective, to change their preferences, then we relegate a certain amount of people to being powerless. And that's why they say, well, what about the 5% that stays in AA and got it? Well, they didn't get it. They chose to be in AA because maybe it's a social It's club. their maybe happier it's, option. It's their happier option. But... But what's sad about that is they give the credit to AA when still 100% since the beginning of time of people that made that preference change, whatever it is, from one activity to another, did so internally. So don't attribute, it's a misattribution and we talk about that in the book, don't attribute and give credit to the AA meeting or the people or the group of drunks, God, or whatever it might be, (laughs) whatever, whatever, don't give it. Th- that the credit, give yourself the credit for making a decision to change your life because that's the only way it happens. That's exactly right. Do you have anything else, Stephen? Uh, do I? Uh, no, I was going to say, um, yeah, there's, I don't know. I, I did have something. <laughs> I, I, he lost it. <laughs> I, I lost it, but no, I, I think that, that uh, we... You don't need to like justify yourself. I just want to say no, that again. You don't. And again, you don't need and to justify liking your preferences or the change in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's we have a victim culture. We're we're we turning really in, we're turning into a victim culture, and I think some people who say these things 
might not necessarily fully believe them. It's like, oh yeah, it was my trauma, you know, yeah. because that holds a little bit of status. That it now gives now. you status to say that was the cause of my yep. addiction. So, you know, if you're just doing that and you're just capitalizing on that, then fucking good for you. Okay, I'm happy. But if you're really believing that, that my trauma makes me drink or whatever, I am afraid for you because yes. when you start thinking about that stuff again, you might feel triggered to drink. If yeah. you are Set, newly traumatized, yeah, sets up you might be, it sets up failure. Well, so if you're just you cashing in on it, that it's cool to be a victim now, <laughs> great, <laughs> great for, for great. you, good for but you. If you really believe it, um, I feel well, bad Well, I you. feel bad for you because as you get older and, you know, I'm in my 50s now. So as you get older, more people drop dead around you that you don't expect is going to happen. Um, life can get pretty hairy. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a little... Uh, stuff happens and, um, and like what I'm saying is life doesn't get any easier the older you get, you know, we, we kind of had this, this perspective, but it gets, but it gets more pleasurable when you know the truth. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. It does. Absolutely. When you know, when you don't live by others' narratives. Yeah. And you live an independent, free thinking, choosing I'm a chooser. Yes. When you take on the identity of a chooser, um, you're self-empowered. You can choose anything. You can be you happy. Can. You can be sad. You can be anything you want. You don't have to feel guilty or shameful or... Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, that's you're exactly. obligated. You don't have to do things out of obligation. You don't have to stay in relationships that you feel like are, you know, are hurtful or harmful. I mean, you, you there's an amazing amount of freedom that comes with knowing the truth. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap up find what I what I have to say here all right thank you so much for listening today if you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or another habitual behavior issue or if they just want help breaking free and moving past perpetual recovery as well you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net or you can find us in our Facebook groups, which are the Freedom Model, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. There's also a growing number of leaving AA groups that can be very helpful as you break free from the various 12-step cults that are out there. So from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time.